0: You know, I emailed people like Steve Heller, the writer, Michael Beirut, Panagram, other designers that I enjoyed at the time. I think I emailed maybe a hundred people at the beginning, and from there, just word got around. You know, it just snowballed into a larger audience, and that's what I tell anyone, that like, how do I get my project out there? You just have to do the work and email the audience that you imagine. You want to be your full audience and the people that you want to see your your work and just start emailing them. Like, there's no way they're going to find out about you without you getting the word out.
1: Hey, hey, welcome once again to the studio podcast, a show for ambitious creatives who want to level up and learn more about creative thinking and strategic design. I'm your host, Ilya Lobanov an experienced designer and brand strategist and founder of Studio, a brand agency focused on growing and elevating brands and businesses. And through this podcast in particular and pretty much through most of my content that I release and put out there, I follow my other passion, which is to share the expertise and resources and mindsets that I've picked up over the years working in the branding and design industry with you guys to help you hopefully level up and become more trusted partners for for your clients and so i invite various creative leaders to discuss various topics such as creativity mindset and leadership skills uh, typically held uh, on my instagram account we are studio so make sure to give me a follow on there if you want to catch a live conversation next time around but uh, in this particular episode my guest is armin Witt, and he is the co-founder of under consideration and if you haven't heard of under consideration as a designer or creative then you have most likely been living under a rock it's uh, part of under consideration is also an brand new uh, platform where he reviews corporate and brand identity design work so You've most likely visited this resource uh, quite religiously, as as I do. Equally for the design inspiration that you get from the various projects, as well as Armin's top-notch breakdowns of each brand identity identity design. And also, of course, the the large community of people that support the, the platform and provide their own commentary and feedback. I find it's a great resource for hearing about various perspectives. And so in this particular episode, we, uh, Armin and myself chat about his journey of launching under consideration as quote unquote side brand and how after 15 years later, it now serves as his main source of income. So what are some of the technical aspects of building something new and what uh, can Armin share with us about building a brand in general? Uh, for this kind of questions, tune into the episode. and. If you are thinking about launching something on the side or just building something as a creative, as I'm sure many of us have a passion to, to build something and release something out there, then I think you'll enjoy this episode. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. How are you going? Good, how are you? I'm doing really well. It's a Friday. yes it's you know, <laughs> it's, it's, hang on, my, my head is cut off. <laughs> One second. It always swaps the um sometimes this changes crops yeah. finally on Instagram and we're designers, so we need the, everything aligned perfectly yeah it needs to be exactly it needs to be just <laughs> just uh the golden ratio rules and everything yep. has to, <laughs> have to be applied <laughs> How are you Good yeah yeah as you said, it's Friday, it's sunny outside, so it's uh, it's all good. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, uh, thank you for for joining me today. And uh, today we're chatting about um, what we've called building a side brand, quote unquote side brand. And um, it's something that, uh, you know, there's probably different angles that we can take this conversation to, but uh, I'd love for you just to give uh, for those those um, designers who might be living under rock and haven't heard about um, you know brand new or under consideration if you just could give us a quick kind of introduction of your background um, and then we can chat more in detail about under consideration and um, all of that yep Um, so as quickly
0: as i can i am originally from mexico city i am a graphic designer and writer i Graduated school in 1999. Uh, I was employed at a design firm for many, at different design firms for many years at the start of my career. In 2003, we started our first design blog called Speak Up, then brand new in 2006. And it wasn't until 2007 that we started Under Consideration and me and my wife um, and business partner, who's also a graphic designer, we officially started under consideration as a full blown business. Um, we've always been uh, on our own. We don't have employees. At some point we've had interns, but we realized that that doesn't work for us. And um, over the past, I would say 10, 12 years, we've focused almost entirely on our own projects and with uh, with very little work for clients. We've grown, the brand new website, which is a blog about, um, uh, I write opinions about logo and identity redesigns of major companies, products or services. And that has gotten fairly big and we can get more into detail about that. And we launched the brand new conference based off of that. And we moved around the US a little bit. We've lived in Atlanta, Chicago, New York, Austin, and now in charming Bloomington, Indiana.
1: Uh, tell tell me, I Armin, mean, what the, was the kind of the main reason that you wanted to set up the blog? You know, the, your initial kind of blogs. That um, what was the Was it just about finding inspiration and kind of being inspired yourself and sharing that with other designers, or uh, were you always thinking about that as um, almost like a you know a business that could or, or something that could eventually turn into a business?
0: Yeah, I mean for. From the be- at the beginning, we had no intention or dreams that that, that it could become a business. Uh, this was when we started our first design blog, which was t- thousand three. Blogging was not a business model; it was not even a thing that most designers did. We, you know, we were the first design blog, and I don't say that in like we were the first; we were the best. It was just like there was no one, no one else was doing it. So, you know, it was just a way of. A, writing about design at the time, you know, there was a lot of discourse about graphic design and there was a lot of magazines and books about graphic design in a way that has disappeared now. Uh, So the, and, you know, being someone from the outside, like I was literally an outsider coming in from Mexico to the United States, no one knew who I was. There was no reason for anyone to know who I was. Uh, So, and I, I really enjoyed reading about graphic design and, and felt that I had opinions about graphic design, whether they were right or wrong, You know, that's, uh, we debated that. But I think I just felt like not being able to get my voice into magazines or books, like I could just mm-hmm. start my own blog and see what, you know, express myself that way. And then I basically, we just start, I just started emailing people that are respected in the industry and saying like, Hey, look, come see uh, this blog calls, pick up that, you know, it's kind of interesting. And yeah, you know, next thing you know, it, it became, for a couple of years, it was the only place where designers could come talk about uh, graphic design. Mm-hmm. And just to quickly share how that transformed into brand new, back into, then in 2004, we had our first major logo redesign post, which was the UPS logo redesign. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the first time, well, it was the first time that anyone, that a lot of designers experienced a classic logo being changed for something that was universally hated. Like everybody hated the UPS logo. There was there's stuff wrong with it, but I think it was more the the fact that it took away Paul Rand logo. So hmm. that was the very first time that we had a logo discussion and it turned out to be really popular. And then we did a few more on speak up and then eventually we just thought there's enough of this content that it could stand on it as its own blog and that's when we started brand new in two thousand and six oh, right. and then yeah, a... j- just to uh, answer the other question about money like uh, back then we 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 started running some ads, but it was never because it was always a side business to uh you know having a design a full time design job we never needed it to make money. It was nice to make a little bit money of ads, but it wasn't, there wasn't an effort to get ads or to
1: somehow monetize it. Mm-hmm. So how, do, how quickly do you think the, the, your sort of audience or the initial, you know, fan base uh, built up? Or was it just purely through um, those connections that you've reached out to a few of those kind of uh, industry leaders and a few of the, um, uh, you know, corporate uh, people working in the corporate design world. And was that the kind of spark or do you think, um, was it something that's taken quite a long time to sort of build up and, you know, before you had a, a large, you know, large enough audience, I guess yeah. large is a, a subjective thing, but you know, when you felt like, hey, this is, I've got something here.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, as I mentioned, like at the beginning,
1: we had zero readers, like there was none <laughs>
0: um, and, you know i emailed people like steve heller the writer michael Beruth at pentagram uh, other designers that i enjoyed at the time i think i emailed maybe a hundred people at the beginning and from there just ward got around people that mm-hmm. started getting intro that started getting interested in speak up shared it with others and you know it just snowballed into a larger audience and I, that's what i tell anyone that like how do i get my project out there like there's no you just have to do the work and email the people that email the audience that you imagine you want to be your full audience and the people that you want to see through your work and just start emailing them. Like, there's no way they're going to find out about you without you getting the word out. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, at the time, <clears throat> you know, I would try to reach out to other larger publications, larger blogs, uh, to just like, whenever I had a good, whenever there was a good, piece on Speak Up, I would email them, I was like, hey, come go check it, check this out. And every now and then, you know, you have something good enough that other, that larger publications would mention. And that's how you start getting uh, some traction. Uh, with brand new, it was a little bit different. Uh, <clears throat> we started with, we already had a, a little bit of a, a base with Speak Up. Uh, so when we launched, we had like sixty thousand page views a month uh, which is it, pretty decent um and then at its height before we went into the subscription mode because of covid and other stuff we can get into you know the when it was fully free and open we had we would reach almost two million page views a month um so which is crazy and again like i i don't say that like oh we're so big and so huge but it's just kind of like insane that a blog about logos <laughs> got so big. Um, I think that was just consistency, you know, day in, day out, putting in the work, publishing uh, one logo critique after the other, and then word gets around, it gets picked up by other uh, publications. And yeah, it's just like, as long as you deliver interesting content consistently, you know, the audience uh, will grow just because it's, it's there as a source of in this case, very specific information, which is logo redesigns.
1: Hmm. So was that um, that uh, decision to to go through, uh, to kind of put that brand new under the paywall, behind the paywall, if you like, uh, with that subscription model that you have now, was that a difficult decision or was that an easy decision?
0: It was extremely difficult uh,
1: because we
0: we always felt that the more people that read it, the better. We enjoyed having that large readership. I mean, I say we don't brag about it, but it's definitely a good ego boost in the world. A lot of people are reading it, so it's great. Um, But it was the one thing that we had to do last year in order for our business to survive, uh, because the, the way we were monetizing brand new for the past 10 years was through the brand new conference and through some ads, but basically the brand new conference. So, you know, having that huge readership allowed us to say, like, now we have this conference, and we promoted it we always have a built in audience we don't have to to promote or advertise anywhere else so when that option went away we we're like oh crap we don't have you know we're not equipped to take on enough design work for clients to make up for the income that was coming in through the conference so you know we have to <clears throat> the one asset that we have which is the most valuable is brand new the blog and yes some people are going to be pissed but we also think that we're offering something of value that people will be like oh you know this is worth paying for it has helped me over the years it has, it's been there for 14 years 15 years now so ho- our hope was that they would find it something worth uh putting the money in and, and you know we 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 debated a lot of what the cost would be at some point we started with $50 a year. And they were like, you know, it's, it's, all about, it's all about trying to get, again, as many people as possible in here. So let's just make it as affordable as it can be to, for us to make money. And uh, not make money, like, you know, let's get rich, but for, for us to get an income. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there was a lot of, uh, it was really hard to say, to take the plunge and to think that if this doesn't work, We've really screwed up the one thing that works for us. Uh, like at some point, we're like, "What if, if we only get 5,000 subscribers? We would have killed brand new." Um, so luckily, either luckily or because of the work that we put into it, it has grown. You, you're, we're about to reach. We, yesterday, we reached 21,000 subscribers, so it's uh, definitely growing. And you know, we reached the point where you know we're very comfortable with. Uh, the amount of subscribers that there are and the income that it provides us to be able to continue living.
1: Yeah, that's that's a great model. I mean, and the thing is, I think, uh, probably for many designers listening to this or entrepreneurs or people that want to launch like a product or a service or some kind of a platform, I think, the, I mean, it sounds to me that, like, would you say you would be able to get that many subscribers if you you know started to um, get people to pay for it in the first couple of years? Probably not. You know, like it's it's a long term kind of journey, right? Yeah. It's something yeah, that it, you've been building up your reputation and your your readership and fan base and so on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, like it, it only took me 14 years to get to a point where we can do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just 14 years. It's just, uh, yeah. And that's the problem I think with side um, with side projects that we expect immediate and big return right away. But it's really a, about the long game. And, you know, it requires patience and it requires seeing the potential in something. And sometimes we can right away tell whether something's gonna be successful or, or not. We've had a number of side projects of our own that right away we're like, all right, we've made the investment of time and money given the reaction and the response like it's not really worth pushing forward so and that comes with experience of knowing what might work and my what might not work uh, but yeah a lot of it just requires a lot of time investment before you start to see the return on investment
1: hmm. it's kind of like the um it's like that whole chicken or the egg kind of situation right where it's is it do you Sort of do all this research and try to find out what's going to be this amazing idea, and then you, you, you know, you kind of try to understand it to the nth degree, and then before you launch anything, or do you kind of just put out the, you know, the the minimal viable product out there, some kind of a, um, you know, basic idea that you can sort of build on, and then you can also um, uh, kind of get the uh, feedback from from people who are using it. I think I saw a quote from um, Mark Zuckerberg the other day. He was, uh, there was a, like an article written up uh, about him and he was saying that, you know, if he was waiting to understand what, you know, how to connect people in, in all of the different ways that Facebook does now, he would probably never have launched Facebook in the first place because it's, you know, it's, it's something that you learn in the process as you sort of build it up, right?
0: Yeah, and like even looking at, the, at brand new, the initial, the first website, it was just kind of, it was really a minimum viable product. It was just a blog, you know, as straight out of the box as it gets, not a lot of, uh, you know, there wasn't a big editorial approach behind it. Um, and that has developed over the years. It was through feedback, through iteration that you get to a really polished product that, you know, when we came to that point where it was time to say, All right, now this is gonna cost you money. There was enough basically research and, uh experience behind it that it just made it feasible for it to become a
1: paid product. Hmm. I've got a question here from Ali which I'm gonna uh, try and um, well I'm gonna put it out there but I'm I'm gonna kind of put a my spin on it as well Um, so we have like a a side question. Ali's question and my question in addition so Ali asks could you explain a step-by-step process of building a blog page with multiple readers? And to me that uh, the way that I'm interpreting that is um like we mentioned that you know you have that uh, subscription model at the moment, so you obviously know the amount of subscribers you have from a monetary point of view when you were initially building up uh, and running you know essentially that blog page how um what do you think that some of the critical components that you need, or some metrics that you need in order for you, um, you know, t- to know that it's a viable product. So, is it just a matter of page views? Is it a matter of unique visitors, or do you have to install some kind of a method for people to interact so that you can actually, you know, see the faces behind the accounts? Like, what what do you think is some um, uh, some of the important components here?
0: Yeah, I think it's important to have some to be able to gauge somehow the level of engagement. So, you know, with a blog in our case, you know, it, it's based on comments. So, you know, I I publish something and then it's all about the feedback in the comments. And, you know, when when you start, I think when we started Speak Up, you would have like 10 comments at a time, 20 comments, then eventually things would balloon up to like 200 comments. Uh, so that gives you a pretty good sense of how how many people are interacting with it and with what kind of recurrence. So like, are they coming in once a month? Are they coming in daily? And I think for us, especially with brand new, when we started seeing a lot of people come come in daily, I think that gave us an indication of, okay, this is big. Like this is big and it's becoming a routine for a lot of people. Hmm. And so it's a combination of that uh, page views. I mean, there's, uh, that's just, hard data, you know, are a hundred people coming in every day or a thousand people coming in every day. So the more data that you have, the better. Um and a lot of it is hard. A lot often it's hard to parse that data and figure out like how much is it actual unique visitors versus returning visitors. But yeah, it's just it gives you a sense of how many people are there. Um, you know, nowadays, you know, you can Pair that up with social media, and you know, have some sort of integration between the two things. How many people follow you on social versus how many people are commenting? Because nowadays, commenting is not as popular as it used to be. Not as many mm-hmm. people comment as much anymore. Uh, so that's that's become a harder tool to use as a method for uh, figuring out engagement. Um, and then, you know, also in our case you know, because we have such a specific niche where it's about logo redesigns, we get a lot of tips by email of either people that see a redesign or client redesign or designers that did the redesign. And so, you know, we get up to, let's say like 50 or 60 emails a week, maybe more. Um, so that's another way of uh, figuring out engagement. And yeah, I think as I mentioned at the beginning, it's all about, you know, starting small, figuring out, you know, can I get 10 people on this page? Then can those 10 people get another 10 people somehow by referring uh, your page? And yeah, it's just little by little, you start building your readership. There's no way. And so the the other thing that I'll say is that I think one of the reasons why Brand New became so successful was because it was a very specific niche. It was just logo redesigns, Mm -hmm. nothing else. And I think if you have if you're able to figure out, if you're able to pinpoint a type of content that no one else is doing or doing it or you do it in a special way, that will be easier
1: to for it to take off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I remember following um, a magazine, like an online magazine. It, it was called Design is Kinky. I'm not sure if it's still around, mm-hmm. but uh, is an Australian-based magazine. Um, uh, magazine, basically, and it's—I believe they had, yeah, all kinds of things. So it was not just logo design; it was packaging, and it was um, um, illustration work, and and so it was kind of all different categories. And which, which I think, I guess, to your point, if you have something more specific and more niche, then there might be more um, raving fans, if you like, or people going specifically uh, for that thing to, directly to you because you are kind of known in the industry as the uh, you know, the the logo or brand identity review person or magazine. I think that's an easier uh, way to, to get more people, I think. Um, so uh, I'm wondering, do you have um, some background in website development or do you have partners who helped you to set this up? Or do you, is it something that you have put together yourself? And um, and if it's, you know, if you had to uh, contract like website developers, there was obviously, I guess, an investment involved, if that's the case. and um could you talk about that a little bit and um if in case some people might be uh, thinking about setting up their own platforms of of such um you know of of a nature like this
0: yeah so um i I went to school for graphic design traditional graphic design this was nineteen ninety five to nineteen ninety nine so it was right as the web started. And, you know, mm-hmm. I initially took some Dreamweaver classes on the side, like at, uh, <laughs> outside courses. You like, mm-hmm. I really don't get it. I don't understand how this works. This is frustrating. But then, um, then the first blog that I ever saw was called Typographica. And it used a mm-hmm. content management system called Movable Type, which... Was the main competition? It was the main blogging platform before WordPress, um, and there was mm-hmm. something very easy about it that I could understand. So I started teaching myself uh, how to do websites, and in sort of in um, uh, uh, so at the same in combination with Movable Type, which had an ease of use of creating multiple pages at once. Like, that's when it clicked for me. Like, okay, I get it. I understand how it works. And with every website, with every edition, because at some point we had, you know, something like six blogs on different topics, uh, different mini websites for different things. So with every website that I created, I I forced myself to learn something new. Um, it was like, all right, can I, can I now do this? Can I now learn another language? Not another language, but another technique. Uh, Like, even at some point, you know, CSS, like, it wasn't a thing when I started. Like, cascading style sheets weren't the norm. And eventually, you had to make the jump. Then eventually, you had to make the jump to responsive design. And I remember, like, the first time that I did a responsive website, just, like, seeing it shrink up and down, you know, it was amazing. But it took me, like, weeks of trying to understand percentages. So, it's always been a learning process. And part of it, the reason why I never... I have never relied on web developers and forced myself to spend the time learning all this stuff is because I don't trust other people. And that's my problem. It's not It's not that other people are not good. I just don't trust other people. I do not have the patience for other people. I do not have, um, you know, I feel like they're going to do something wrong. And they, they often don't. It's just my, in my own mind, This that's how I am, which is, uh, it can be a burden. Um, so I just figured, you know, I I would rather spend 8 hours outside of work to try to learn this and bang my head against the wall trying to understand it uh so that I can do it myself so that, you know, that it's something that I can control and I can do. Uh so yeah, I'm uh, every now and then I'll have uh I have two or three uh, freelance developers that I'll uh that I'll uh ping for things that I just can't do. If it's something very complicated in PHP or JavaScript, that's like sort of beyond my uh, ability, like I'll ask them to come in and just solve one issue or two issues. But like in general, I try to work within my abilities, which are, I mean, they're, they're good enough, but they're limited in a way. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's a, a little bit of uh, having that ability to do websites and coding and all that stuff has allowed us to do the things that that we do. Because if we were relying on other people and having to make that expense financially, like we would think about things, like we would reconsider, like do we really want to do this? You know, like the move to a subscription Mm -hmm. model, that was an insane amount of work. Uh, But I was able to control it. I was able to understand how the system worked as I was learning about it and implementing it so that really empowers you to take control of your own uh, products and build them to the abilities again that you can control and have uh are able to manage on a day-to-day basis like if i had to email someone every time something breaks down you lose time you lose uh you know in this case you're losing uh, viewers confidence in your ability to have a website that performs day in and day out. So if something breaks, I can go in and check what's going on. Um, so yeah, very long answer mm. to yes. I know how to code. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, it's it's. Um, I think it's good to to be a, a bit of a generalist, especially when you're running. Um, whether that's a side gig or kind of um, for any entrepreneurs in general, I think that when you have a multitude of different skills, it definitely helps you to to um, even if you don't if you're not like an expert in every single uh, aspect of it, you still uh, should have, you know, a good understanding of all of the different aspects so that you, you can control it, like you say. So if you was like you're relying on um you know website developers, it's also might be something that you have to wait for, you know, if there's a small change that you have to make, then there's a time delay. Uh whereas if you're able to do something yourself in like fifteen minutes. And it takes you 15 minutes to explain to someone and then wait for, for two days for them to implement it, you know, that's an issue. Um, so uh, I hope that answers your question, Ali. Uh, I know that wasn't exactly a question, but I think that's kind of the, how we interpreted it. Um, I do have some interesting questions regarding branding. And, and so the, there is one here um, from Dread, which is kind of along the lines of what I was thinking about. So he's asking about what should we know about personal branding. So you've mentioned that uh, there wasn't, you know, too many people that have heard about yourself, um, you and your your wife, and uh, in like in in the industry, I suppose, from you know, for as a personal brand or as what we know now as a personal brand. So how do um, how much do you think that plays into creating or setting up some kind of a side hustle or some kind of a venture? Um, maybe now, you know, maybe how it how it's different and maybe has it changed, is it still the same? What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, for better or worse, it's the same, you know, you have to brand yourself in the same way that you would brand a client and whether you're selling, you know, uh, cookies or, you know, uh, a lawyer, or, uh, you know, law services, it's all about capturing and distilling what, What you're about and portraying that on a consistent basis. Like you can't be, you know, amazing and caring one day and then be a jerk the next day. You have to figure out what is your brand positioning. And in my case, you know, and it's developed over the years. But I think in my case, what I said, what I set out to do from the beginning was like, I'm gonna be honest. I I know I'm not an expert. I know I'm not the best writer. I know I'm not the best talented, des- I'm not the most talented designers, but I'm gonna be true to myself. And whether that's putting uh, my, you know, shoving my foot in my mouth sometimes, or sometimes coming up with amazing insight, you know, it's gonna come, it's gonna be honest, it's gonna be, uh, you know, it's not gonna be filtered too much. And, you know, I think people really react to whatever you put out as long as it feels genuine. And like I've never, mm-hmm because it's really hard to maintain a persona that you're not that you that you just not like you know I couldn't be a cool guy that goes out and has amazing vacations because that's not the reality like I don't do fun stuff uh at, you know in my spare time <laughs> like in my spare time I'm taking care of my kids I'm walking my dogs I'm mowing my lawn and, you know, that's that's the extent of the excitement. So, you know, I'm not gonna portray myself mm-hmm. in a way that like, oh, I'm this cool designer guy. It's like, no, I'm just a guy that's trying to make a living that happens to have stumbled on writing about design as a way of standing out. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, with that, when you understand who you are and how you want people to perceive you, then you just build around it and try to be again, like honest and genuine about it. Like, you know, even from the, from your portrait image on, you know, your profile pic on on social media accounts, like, you know, mine is like straightforward. I'm semi-smiling, you know, I'm a happy guy, but I'm also very, Okay. I'm very dubious of other people. So, you know, I try to not be too smiley or be too, uh, you know, have a a photo where I'm in the beach or something. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Um, So it's all about making small decisions that complement your personality and, you know, being consistent. Like though you can change and evolve, but as long as you're consistent to the core message of who you are, you know um, stick to that. And yeah, you do have to develop a personal branding that, you know people know feel like they have a connection with you that when you meet in person those expectations are met like you know i, I could show up because i do or i, I did plenty of uh, public speaking uh, before the pandemic and you know when i show up like you know there's no surprises like i what you see is what you get like i don't come in like oh let's go party after the <laughs> talk or you know i and I'm quiet on, you know, while things are happening. So it's, uh, it's all a balance of uh, reality and expectation. And yeah, just as long as you're genuine, um, that's um, that's how it works best.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it, it would might be weird if you started doing like a Tony Robbins or something when you, when you come out on stage, you know? Yeah,
0: that's, and, that's and I you. see other speakers that are like super charismatic, and they get up on stage, and you know. They're able to be loud and funny, and like I'm, I'm uh, relatively funny, but I like I don't try I don't try to emulate someone the, something that I admire in other speakers. I don't try to do it because I, I just can't. It's not going to be honest. It's going to come across as I'm trying too hard. Uh, so yeah, it's all about maintaining that, um, you know, in a way consistent that image. Yeah, yeah, consistent image. But also at the same time, whenever possible, like push yourself to get a little bit out of your comfort zone. Because I think there's something nice that people can appreciate when you when they see you trying not too hard, but that you're trying you're making an effort to do something. I think that also uh, pays off. And I think that's something that I try to do as well. Just like you know, I want people to notice that I'm I'm working hard. Like I'm not just sitting here, you know, uh, enjoying the uh, you know the subscription money coming in. Like I'm, you know, day in day out, a lot of hours in the day, I'm here working hard.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, well, look, I, I was just maybe 10 minutes before I call. I was on, um, you know, brand new, just checking out the new projects, because <laughs> um, that's what I do, and I think that's what many um, designers do, and like you say, it's become like a, almost like a ritual, you know, you go on there every, you know, every day or every couple of days, and you uh, read up on your um commentary but also it's like the community that's that's been built around that you know because you you read the other people's comments too and you get a lot of different perspectives and i think that's how we can learn as creatives in general because we can have uh you know hear all these different perspectives i don't think there's always like a one correct you know truthful way um it's always just seeing everything from different angles and being open to that um, but so thanks for the question about personal branding i mean i think um That was great. And that leads me to uh, also thinking about uh, just branding at large. I'm wondering how much, you know, quote unquote branding did you do at the early stages? And I'm interested in both the kind of the visual aspect and also the kind of the strategic work that some people might uh, be inclined to do, like setting up your brand values and, you know, thinking about your brand purpose and all of this type of stuff. So I'm wondering how much of that work did you do, you know, when you launched? Uh, your initial projects and maybe later down the track, if at all?
0: Yeah, so um, when I started my design career, at first it was a, at a large internet consultancy. So that was weird. That was just a lot of, uh, you know, people just wanted to get on the internet and they would do it, they wanted to do it at whatever cost. But that gave me an insight into how, you know, I work with companies like Home Depot, Coca Cola, UPS. And, you know, as a junior designer, I just like sat around and was quiet, but that gave me an understanding of how big corporations work and how decisions get made in meetings. And, you know, it can be scary at times. And I think that has changed a little bit with as uh, clients that are non-designers have gotten more comfortable making design decisions. Um, then I went to work in to, you know, a really this small design firm in Chicago. We were only four people and just working very, you know, one on one with small businesses, and that gave me a different perspective of how how do you work with someone whose livelihood revolves around their small business, mm-hmm. and you know that 's a very different relationship than when you 're working with someone that uh, you know that, that is managing a five thousand uh, person company so you know having that um, that uh, combination of those things was really good at the beginning, and just like And then it was more about when I was at the Chicago firm, it was more like uh, working on the details of things like, you know, how can we make this business card perfect? Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas, uh, you know, the internet consultancy, nobody cared. Like just do a business card. It doesn't matter. Uh, And then I had the opportunity to work at Pentagram, which is where I really got exposed to, you know, how strategy works, how dealing with clients on a larger scale, not as big as UPS, Coca Cola, or anything like that, but you know, clients that are doing um, significant work and getting to see how how you marry design and strategy, and just listening to clients. Uh, because at Pentagon, there was no strategy team; like it was me and Michael Barut, the partner, and he did all the all the strategy thinking, and it it was really amazing to see how. Not that it wasn't hard, because it is hard, but just how it's all about listening to the client and then figuring out ways of making the design apply to what you just heard. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, so that gave me a really good, you know, live uh, education on how that works at the top level. And then, you know, with Brand New reading all the press releases, hearing all the design rationalizations that designers provide, all that has become a real education on how clients talk about their business, how designers talk about their work. And then, you know, that has given me a lot of understanding about, you know, I get a real, whenever I see a project nowadays, like I sort of know what happened behind the scenes without knowing about it. And it's not because I'm super smart or because I'm super clever, it's just like I've seen so many cases and read so many cases that there are certain things that um, are easy to spot. But, um, and that also comes from, you know, the hosting the brand new conference and sitting for basically 160 uh, speaker sessions by now, how do the designers talk about it? How do they deal with client briefs? And all that really amounts, I think that's what you have to do, expose yourself to as many, approaches to working design a strategy so that you can form your own and see what works. Uh, and by now I have forgotten what the question was.
1: Well, the question was what, uh, have you uh, done any of that sort of work for brand new or under consideration, uh, perhaps in the early days in terms of like the strategic pillars and, and strategic thinking, or did you more or less just, you know, launch something and then, and then just to see what works and what, what doesn't work.
0: No, I think to a degree there's been strategic thinking all along This is that, you know, uh, determining who this is for, what the tone is, uh, you know, even the editorial decisions that, you know, I've always said that for the most part, we will only focus on large products, companies, or services. So, you know, if Burger King redesigns, yes, we're going to cover it. But if the small one-shop burger restaurant in bloomington indiana really signs mm-hmm. i'm not going to cover it on brand new because that is not going to be of interest to a large group of people so that's a strategic decision in the sense that you know the way that this is going to attract people is if people can if if many people can create an association or have an understanding of what we're talking about so that we can all have a similar discussion around the same mm. context um, and yeah, so, you know, everything from, I guess, the layout of the website to the how often we post, all those are strategic decisions in a way. Um, but, you know, we don't sit down and we don't do right things on a whiteboard. We don't put post-its on a wall. You know, every now and then it's just like me and my wife over lunch or over dinner, like, mm-hmm. hey, what do you think about this? Like, hey, that sounds right or no, that sounds stupid. And then we just make the decision.
1: Yeah. There's, there's not like a Simon Cynic, the why, the purpose, um, behind, you
0: know, <laughs> I mean, workshop. Yeah, I mean, there's none of that. But I think we, both me and my wife, so have such an understanding of our own product that we basically have those meaning, you know. Are, it's
1: embedded in you almost. It's like,
0: embedded in us. Like, so we're having like our, our whole life is a constant mm-hmm. workshop. Like we're always coming up with ideas and questioning what we're doing. So it's just more of an ongoing thing as opposed to like a sit down, like, oh, right, all yeah. let's figure this out. And sometimes we do. Uh, but for the most part, it's just like an ongoing conversation.
1: Yeah, it's like an intrinsic thing that happens. Yep. Um, Skura asks, um, what is your opinion about the number of versions a logo can have? Um, I'm not. I'm not sure if 100. percent I think I know what he means, but um, maybe you could tell us what you how you interpret it, and we can ask. Uh, I would imagine how many
0: logo ideas one presents to a client. Is that what you think is the question,
1: or uh, I reckon that the question is like how many options variations for a logo. So if you have like a you know a stacked version and a vertical version and like a. Uh, you know, a mark and um, you know an avatar, or like a, like those kind of things. Like what okay. I've seen in the latest trends, if, or not maybe the latest trend, but one of the trends that I've seen is there are multiple versions. So if it's like a square logo, then they give you like a variation. Uh, if it's um, you know, if it has to be fit in a very small space, then there's a, a different version of the logo. So I, th- I think that's how I interpret. Okay. it.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah. No, I think you 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 sort of need to have. Um, you know two or three versions, especially nowadays when um, when the avatar the social media profile pick is so important, you need something that fits in a circle, uh, but not everything is meant to fit in a circle or square so yeah I think it 's uh, important to have something that will that will be able to mutate and still be recognizable in those different formats um, and because there nowadays there are so many Mediums where a logo has to perform, whether it's on uh, online, on the side of a pencil, on the side of a building, on uniforms, whatever it is, a single uh, a single logo version is not always going to do the trick. Sometimes it does, and sometimes you have a, such a small <clears throat> uh, company name or product name that you know it will fit nicely in a circle, it will be nice on the side of a building, uh, but other times, you know, you can have Uh, Two or three I think any anything beyond that you start to uh, It starts to become confusing not just Mm -hmm. for the public but also for the people implementing like what do I use if I can use any of these five so you know uh, Some versatility is good, but too much can just be detrimental to
1: implementation Yeah, and even just writing the style guide for that I can just imagine just writing all the rules like okay this you know version one of five is used only in this instance, but not in this 10 instances. Like <laughs> how do you create uh, instructions for that? Thanks to, thanks to you for the question and for the answer, uh, Armin. And thanks for the question, Ujert. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, I did have um, a question from Brian Grossman um, from 36 Creative, uh, but we kind of covered that a little bit, but he was asking about What do you think was the aspect that helped, you know, brand new to kind of survive and go on and become this, um, you know, beg off, that's not a word, you know, this huge uh, entity, uh, whereas some of the other side projects that you've started, I know you've started quite a few uh, over the last couple of decades, um, you know, they maybe haven't become so successful. What do you think was the major contributor to that?
0: I think it was that we dialed in on something that a lot of people wanted to read about and see more about and which will which is logo redesign and I think it it's also it has grown in parallel to the interest of the general public in logo redesigns like you know nowadays uh, if a major company redesigns it will be on you know, it will be in the New York Times, it will be on CNN, it will be on Vanity Fair, it will be on night, uh, on, uh, you know, talk, night talk shows, like Jimmy Kimmel will go on the street and be like, hey, what do you think of this logo? And <laughs> that didn't happen. That didn't used to happen uh, mm. 14 years ago. So I think the more, because we're covering a subject that not only designers enjoy, but, you know, uh you know, the general public enjoys. I think that's what's really allowed us to move beyond, because almost every other project that we've done is target, targeted to designers, because that's the audience mm-hmm. that we know, that's the audience that we understand. And I think that it's often limited. Um, so if you, don't, if you don't, if we're not, if we don't hit something right away, you know, out of the park, like, all right, you know, we don't know what else to do, but we're brand new because it's broader. I think that has held a longer appeal to a lot
1: of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of mainstream almost, like nowadays, yeah. everyone knows what a logo is, and yeah, like you say, it's 14 years ago, 15 years ago, it's not something that probably has been talked quite a lot. Um, I mean, probably similar. I had probably similar experiences to, I'm sure, what you had, Armin, with um, you know, your digital agency that you worked at. I was also starting at the sort of a digital agency. And I remember... They would Sorry, for... my dogs are starting to go crazy.
0: <laughs> we have done pretty well. So I'm just going to yeah, cover yeah. my microphone.
1: No worries. Um, yeah, so I was just going to say, I was also like having a uh, logo design basically from, from a website. So they would come to me for a, logo, a website design and they would say, oh, well, we actually don't have a logo. Can you just do a quick logo? So it would be like a, you know, just a basic typeface or something. And it was just one of those things that nobody really cared about or knew much about at all. Um, but nowadays, I think most people understand understanding, expect that a brand needs to have um, a solid, recognizable and simple logo.
0: Yeah, and I think there are still people that think that design, you know, a logo is something that can happen for $50 or $500 and, but that has really, that perception has really gone away. And I think part of it has to do with, you know, logos being covered as part of mainstream. They're part of the, of of the news cycle. So I think uh yeah that has uh, been a good thing in that people get that a logo is hard work.
1: Well um I think this is a good uh time for us to probably um wrap up, Armin, if if that's okay with you. Um I would uh, love for you to to obviously tell people where to find you other than brand new how can people connect with you is um are you working on anything that you want people to know about um do you have any final thoughts for you know designers who might be listening
0: uh yeah so um actually you cannot find me anywhere but brand new right now <laughs> because of the, <laughs> of the pandemic that's where we are uh, hopefully next year we can be- get back to doing live events and i can go back and do you know do some talks at you know, local AIGA chapters or international design conferences. I, I would love to get back on the road and do that again. Uh, you know, uh, underconsideration.com, UCLLC on Instagram and Twitter, uh, if anybody still uses Twitter anymore. Um, yeah, I think it's just about, um, in the end, it's all about if you have a, if you have a dream, you know, chase it. Like, and, you know, spend some time on it. Don't devote, uh, you know, don't, Put all of your uh, eggs in one basket, but I um, oh, just a quick question, where are you from Mexico City um, and yeah it's a, it's a good thing to have side businesses and side gigs that keep that passion going that keep that allow you to keep exploring different techniques, different ideas. And it's all about getting them out there, getting other people to see it and see how people react. And hopefully something takes off. And then next thing you know, that's how you make an income. Um, that's how, that's your next uh, source of income for the next 20 years.
1: This has been the case for us. Amazing. Thank you very much, Armin. I appreciate your time and it's been a pleasure. Same here. Thanks for everyone who's um, tuned in and um... Take care and have a um, great rest of your day or whatever um, time of the day you have. All right. See See you. Bye. Hey, thank you very much for sticking till the end of the episode. I hope you have enjoyed this conversation with Armin and I. Let us know by getting in touch through Instagram or through email uh, with one of us to let us know what you have thought about this episode. Perhaps you can uh, con- connect with me on Instagram at We are Studio and let me know through direct message um, what you are building as a side brand or as a side business and, and maybe how this particular episode maybe shifted your perspective. And we'd love to hear about your journey in general as to what you're, you're working on and um, how you approach building a brand for yourself. Whether uh, that's a personal brand or uh, as a side gig of some kind. Now, this is a weekly uh, conversation or sometimes a bi-weekly conversation that happens uh, on my Instagram um, as a live conversation. So if you want to catch up, uh, you can uh, by following me on Instagram and then uh, following my notifications so that you don't miss these live conversations and uh, of course if you've enjoyed this episode please do leave a review or share it with someone that you think might enjoy it as well perhaps a fellow creative Uh, now we're coming up to the end of season number three of the studio podcast so uh, the next episode will most likely be a last one for a while there will be a short break so make sure to tune in for that last episode with um, uh, the the last kind of thoughts for for season three and um, I can't wait to to uh, get back to to the um, actual creation and ideation of the of the podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts around what the format of the podcast should be. You can leave uh, an audio voice note for the uh, for this podcast. I will leave a link in the description. Uh, so it's basically a platform for you to, to record your voice feedback. Um, if you'd like me to share that in some way uh, on the podcast, do let me know. I'd love to incorporate it in some future episodes. But I'd, I'd love to, to learn about how you like uh, to, to consume information and to learn. So I'd love to get your feedback on, on this uh, format. So just remember one last thing. The world... Does need your creativity, and you have the power to ignite it. Catch you on the next episode.